MagCleric.com presents Episode 2 of Chasing the Dragon. Welcome to Episode 2 of Chasing the Dragon, a podcast about my first foray into Advanced Dungeons & Dragons 1st Edition. My name is Jason Wood. You may know me as the Mad Cleric, a past writer for MadAdventurers.com, and currently for my own site, MadCleric.com. My guest tonight is Daniel Fisher, whose voice you may recognize from the podcast Game Store Profits. He's very active with Inroads Ministries and has his own line of specialty dice available at KnuckleBonesDice.com. That's Knucklebones with a Z. Now, I've invited Daniel tonight to join me for a conversation about the history of Dungeons & Dragons. Thanks for joining me tonight, Daniel. Hey, guys. How's it going? I say guys to the people on the internet. Yeah. That's what yeah. I'm talking about, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's inclusive here on uh, Chasing the Dragon. Oh, yeah. Now, before we start talking about D&D, I want to uh, uh, talk about dice. I, I spent some time tooling around on knucklebonesdice.com, and you seem to be a bit of a dice nut. So, uh, what's when did that start? What was your first tabletop RPG? When did the dice become a thing? What's, uh, what's the story there, man? Well, you know, I've always loved geometric shapes. Just something about me. Just love blocks. Loved Legos, and when we had board games as a kid, I loved dice. So I was about 14, and I showed up at one of our local comic shops, and these guys were like, hey, man, you want to try this out? I'm like, what is it? Well, it's Dungeons & Dragons. I'm like, sure, what I need? You need to go over and buy a set of dice right now. So I walk <laughs> over there and bought a blue set of Chessex dice, which I still have over here. I still use them. I'll let my wife use them because, you know, it's got some nostalgia to them. But, um... That was over 20 years ago. That's like 23 years ago. And um, second edition and you was still first use, And you still use those dice? My wife does usually when we play. We play Savage Worlds a lot lately. Um, it's an easier system for my daughter to play. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's it's really more versatile. Um, I can get into that later. But, um, but you know, I, I, I still use my old dice. I have tons of old dice. I, I do collect dice. Um, now, I am working a little bit as an affiliate with Game Science. I'm friends with Lou Zochi, the owner of Game Science. Um, he is actually the uh, long, first American dice manufacturer for polyhedral dice. And, wow. um, and he it goes back. He, he, if you sit down and talk to him, he's like, yeah, I remember stuffing the dice in the D&D boxes for Gary and all this other stuff. And, and he, he's a pretty, Crazy hoot to listen to talk. So he's he's the guy that was making them for TSR when Gary Gygax first put out those dice then? No. They were ordering them for TSR, and then he complained about the fact that the dice were so cheap. If you ever looked at a a um, a Holmes edition die, they are... Um, the, if you look at one now, it, mm-hmm. they have rounded edges, almost to the point where they look like a ball. Um, I have one back there on the shelf, but I should have got it beforehand so I could just hold it up like that. But, um, but they're rounded and they usually came like, um, the edge dice that you get at Game Science, like these guys right here, how the precision on those dice. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, you know, sharp points, but they were made out of such a cheap plastic and, um, they were, Costing an arm and a leg for game science, not game science, but for TSR. And, uh, he, you know, Lou would call down to the provider of those and be like, hey, 
is there any way you could just send, cause they would pre-bag them and lose like, can you send them to me non-bagged so I can, I'll bag them myself so we can save some money. And the guy's like, no. And, uh, you know, quit trying to undercut me. And then that's how Game Science was formed. A standard home set that came out or a standard set that TSR sold during the seventies, early eighties would probably wear out in about eight months. Well, I was I was telling you earlier, uh, our listeners didn't hear this, but a good friend of mine, Jason Rush, actually he listened to last week's podcast and uh, went up to his attic and pulled all his stuff out. He's he's lent me T one, the Village of Hamlet here. It's in great condition. I mean, unbelievable yeah. condition. But he had his dice from uh, the blue box, and uh, I was I was surprised. But you're right, they were worn yeah. the heck out, man. Those are my white whale. I have two out of the five dice in that box set. And really? Yeah. So I've got the last <laughs> three lined up to be sent to me. Um, I have a buddy. His name's Kevin Cook. I will give him a shout out. DiceCollector.com. Um, he has the world's largest dice collection. Wow. And it's officially over 60,000 unique dice. There's no duplicates. Well, I will, I will say this. If, if our listeners have lasted this far... They, <laughs> they're the right people to be listening to this podcast. We could talk about dice all night, but we're going to move on to our official it's topic. So as I've been telling people about this project I'm working on, as I'm describing Chasing the Dragon of Folks, I'm noticing that people are getting confused. And here's what's confusing to them. I'll tell them that I'm learning first edition Advanced Dungeons and Dragons, and they'll say, Oh, the original Dungeons and Dragons. And my response to him is, uh, not exactly, but kind of. And then there's this really convoluted conversation that follows. So I understand, and our listeners probably understand, that the predecessor to Dungeons and Dragons was the 1971 fantasy supplement to Chainmail. So Chainmail was this tabletop war game, and there was a fantasy supplement, uh, that was put with it. It was a game by, by Gary Gygax. Yes. So, Tell us, as kind of a D&D historian, what are the big differences between Chainmail with its fantasy supplement and the original Dungeons & Dragons box that followed? So AD&D didn't come until after right. this, and this first box. you're talking about the white box that came yes, out. Yes, the white box that came out after uh, Chainmail and its fantasy supplement. So what's so, the big difference between OD&D is what we'll call that, that original box and then Chainmail? What's the difference so between those the two? The difference between those two was Chainmail... The fantasy section was just a 14-page insert in the back of this, that book. That book was a fit, if you, if you've ever seen it, it was the size of a half a sheet of paper. Um, so technically seven pages if you want to get technical about it. Um, what it had some monsters to fight, had a few rules on magic. There were no classes, no um, you know other than like wizard. Um, there were you know no races and things of that nature. Um, and the game itself was designed around combat, um, you know, full scale combat. And then Gary's like, let's try to get it down to one on one combat and see how we can work that. And then when you came out with the white box, um, the white box had more rules. It had classes. It had races. Um, you know, and then it had you know, I believe a supplement. Um, because I know Blackmore was being worked on by um, Arneson, and then you had Greyhawk being worked on by Gary, which actually came out a little bit later. So there's a little bit of world information there, uh, but it let a lot for the people to, to develop their own worlds. But it was just really more rules and more information that people could use for rules. 
So if we were going to imagine it, so Chainmail is basically this large-scale war game, and with the fantasy supplement, he was looking to cap- take this, uh, take the camera and zoom in yes. on a battle between two heroes. Yes. But okay. so with OD and D, was it a full-blown RPG or was it just an expansion of that? Because I understand a, a lot of it was dependent upon Chainmail rules. So what what were they trying to accomplish? Yeah, the mechanics came from Chainmail Rules. What happened was um, Gary was kind of out of work. Um, and when Chainmail came into his lap, he'd been doing a lot of side work um, for Gideon Games and a few other game places, just going through, you know, proofreading a lot of stuff, making corrections. So he had, lo- he had lost his job or something? Yeah, he had been working, I think it was as an insurance adjuster um, in Chicago. And when he, in his heyday, he would use his typewriter, like, you know how... Today we have computers. Well, typewriters were really expensive back then. And so, like, he would use his work typewriter and, and all that stuff. But he lost his job from there. And he had been making ends meet. And he bought himself, like, a, a his own typewriter at home. But he had been working as a shoe cobbler. He was actually fixing shoes and things like that. And, mm-hmm. and then he was also doing a few other things with, you know, proofreading some stuff. And he came out with a supplement. And I can't remember the name off the top of my head. Um, it was in one of the magazines about fantasy, um, uh, war, war games, fantasy stuff, and that's what got the attention right. of Gideon Games. And they were like, "Hey, can you do something with Chainmail? Just throw this in the, you know, here." And um, so he did. He did the Chainmail, and then what happened at one of the Gen Cons, uh, which were actually held in Lake Geneva, um, that's where it got the name was Geneva Com- Conference. And um, so he met Arneson and. Um, so Dave Arneson was like, hey, I've been playing this, and I've actually come up with this world. Let's talk about this. So after Gen Con, they started um, you know, communicating. This was like in the uh, late 60s, early 70s. They started communicating a lot by mail uh, and, and together because they were in two different states. They started collaborating and working on the first OD&D. So Gygax had already – so he got invited in on chain mail. Mm-hmm. Chainmail gets completed, and then he meets Dave Arneson at Gen Con, and they begin talking about a role-playing yeah. game, basically. Yeah. Okay, so so it really was its own thing. It wasn't something born out of Chainmail, but there were some, some things they were willing to yeah, borrow Yeah, the mechanics it. and things like that as far as the combat that they created for hand-to-hand. How involved was Dave Arneson with the composition of OD&D? I mean, it seems like there's some disagreement on that. That led up to a lawsuit later yeah, on. Yeah, so... The OD&D white box, he was involved a lot with it. Um, he had already hashed out most of the rules um, that they had used to do that. You know, Gary did a lot of the piecing together um, for that. And what there was a lawsuit because when he actually created Advanced Dungeons and Dragons, uh, Gygax, yeah, you're talking about um, he Gygax went and thought he revamped the rules enough to where none of Dave's stuff was left in there. And the only thing that the ODD, you know, White Box D&D and Advanced Dungeons & Dragons had in common was the um, the name Dungeons & Dragons. And that's what led to the lawsuit. And um, it actually got settled out of court. They ended up having to pay like something 5% for every book sold after that for X amount of years. Mm-hmm. And he made a pretty penny off of it. Well, that leads to my question. So you've got OD&D. It's Dungeons and Dragons. It's in a box. It's done. It's out yeah. there. People can get it. Why did Gygax 
want to design an advanced Dungeons and Dragons? What was OD&D missing that AD&D added? Uh, well, you OD&D didn't have a thief. <laughs> it was all because of the thief. No, um, it was for the more advanced players because he designed OD&D to be played by children. He played with Luke and Ernie and um, his daughter, I can't remember, Elise, um, every night while playtesting it, um, you know, just to make sure that they could play it. Um, and he wanted to give them something more advanced, the the you know, more adult players um, down the road. And, you know, and we actually get a lot of things from his kids. If people don't know about Tensor's mm-hmm. floating disc, that was, Tensor was uh, Ernie's character. And, right. uh, so we get, get things like that. And, but, um, his kids' fingerprints are all over it. And it's, it's great. I love that. It's just, it's beautiful. But, um, but the, the main thing that he was doing was he, he wanted to create something that was more in depth than just the box set. And, okay. and I will tell you this, that there was a box set for every version of Dungeons and Dragons except for third. Interesting. Yeah. I thought I did not know. So now, now is when it starts getting confusing, not just to folks I've been explaining it to, but to me. I, I can understand, based upon that, why Gygax wanted to have an advanced Dungeons and Dragons. Um, you know, he's, he's leaving Chainmail behind completely now. There's no remnant of Chainmail in this like there was in OD&D. He's doing something for his adult players. This is something that's probably going to be more marketable. But while Gygax is working on AD&D, TSR releases D&D Basic written by a totally different guy. So why did... They've already got OD&D. Right. They continue to produce OD&D after this. He's working on AD&D. They're about to release that. So then they put in this this blue Have box, ever... the D&D Basic, yeah. that continues for years. So wh- it makes no sense to me why this third product is yeah, shoved in there. So what's the story? You're talking about the, the uh, as I call it, the John Holmes edition. Um the, yeah. A lot of people call it the Holmes edition. Um, this first set actually came with dice. Uh, the white box didn't come with dice. They used the chipboard and with numbers on it, and they would punch that out and put that in like a hat, and you got to actually draw your your number out. And you're like, oh, I got a 19, and you throw it back in the hat. Uh, you're kidding me. And so in OD&D, you drew out of a hat instead of rolling yeah, a Yeah. Um, now, if you, some people are going to say, hey, man, I, I had the white box, and it came with dice. What you had was a store clerk that wanted to sell those copies so bad he put a set of dice with them. Yeah. But, but the, um, the, the main reason I will tell you this was money. Um, so imagine yourself as a kid in a comic shop or actually back then it was actually sold at KB, um, in toy stores and you walk in and then there's two products sitting on the shelf. One, it says Dungeons and Dragons and another one says Dungeons and Dragons basic set and one's a white box and one is very colorful with a dragon on it and it's got dice in it and all these other things and it's one book. And, and, you know, a few extra pages of information. The kids are going to go after the, the fun and colorful, more vibrant thing than what the old stuff was. Um, it was going to, it was really a consolidation of all the rules from ODD, uh, box set and, you know, a few rewrites, but it was really a marketing thing. So mm-hmm. it, it only went up to the third level as well in that game box set. So it didn't really go past. Yeah. So char- characters could only go so yeah. far. And that's why in 81, they released D&D Expert, yes. right? Was that to continue on from 
level three characters in D and D basic. Yeah, you with the D and D expert, you had a module that came with it for a setting. Um, it took you up to a human. It would take you up to tenth level. A I think it was a dwarf. It would take you up to twelfth level, uh, depending on your character type. Um, now, if you ever looked at some of the videos where they're talking, uh, like Cask, Tim Cask, they didn't expect people to take their characters past tenth level. Mm. They they said that once their characters got to tenth level, they said that guy retired to a castle somewhere, <laughs> and you rolled up a new character, and that's right. how they played. And so when they they used to get emails like, uh, yeah, my or not emails, say emails, but <laughs> mail from people going, yeah, me and my party went to Valhalla and killed Thor and Odin, and we don't know what to do yet. We're at twentieth level, and they're like, why are you at twentieth level? Start a new character, start a new campaign. But no, seriously, the, the what they did was they took a lot of some of the the rule changes that came out for the basic set, you know, like a few things that they had come up with. We call it a rider now. Um, throw it in there, and then they threw in a lot more information to help build the world as the person needed it. And um, called it the expert set. It was for that more intermediate person that didn't actually want to go full-fledged in the Advanced Dungeons and Dragons. Well, let's talk about, let's talk about Arneson and Gygax separately for a second. So, how, mm-hmm. what did Arneson think about the development of D&D Basic and then D, D&D Expert? If he, he was concerned about AD&D when it came out later, yeah. shortly thereafter, but if these are his rules being yeah. repackaged and reformatted. Yeah, he so. was still getting money for that. Now, the way TSR worked, um, Say I, I was a person that's like, I love D&D, but I created my own information. I created my own world. Right. I'd go to TSR and say, listen, I got this. I want you to sell it. And they'll be like, okay. So they would take and license it from me, um, and they would you know pay to produce it. They would pay to advertise it, and I would get a cut. And isn't and that basically I'll, what John Holmes did? Didn't he kind of repackage it himself yeah. and offer it to TSR? Yeah, and 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 the the cool part about that was almost everybody that worked at TSR had their own supplement. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's how they were getting paid was through their supplement selling, you know. And um, they were getting, you know, you know, Gary got paid off of Greyhawk, right? You know, that's how he got paid was Greyhawk. You know, he did own stock in the company, but he also made money off Greyhawk. So, so what did Gygax think about? D&D basically. As I'm reading the books, I'm just imagining that Gary really didn't give a crap what was going on. Otherwise, he was just fine doing his own thing. Did he, yeah, did he, he care about what all TSR was doing on the side? Well, you had, at the time, you had, um, you had Gary, um, you had the Blooms, mm-hmm. and then you had one other guy held like a small percentage of the company. Uh, the Blooms, were really doing their best to make as much money as they could and wring it out of out of TSR. So, so did he care then that they were doing all this other stuff with D and D basic? Yeah, I drove him nuts, man, because he just wanted his company to succeed and make money and people to enjoy his games. Because see, the he, there's different types of people in the world, and Gary was the type that cared about what he did, not about the money as much. Mm-hmm. Um, he was raking in millions of dollars, and he really didn't even care. Um, I mean, he liked the money, but, I mean, it gave him the creative ability to do what he needed to do. And it was kind of like they're stomping on his life work. Because well, he, we he and Arneson started TSR, didn't they? Yeah, him and a few others. Um, they started it, and, and he just, you know, he wanted to buy it up himself, and he couldn't. He just didn't have the, 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 the funds to do it and keep yeah. it going. Well, let's get back to AD&D. There's a lot of politics there. I, I know that... Um, 
Sam Witwer's brother, I can't remember his first name, just rel re relatively recently released a biography of Gygax. Yeah. That's the uh, first one that's been written. Is it Michael Witwer? Um, yeah. And I'm, I'm kind of interested in reading that. but um, It's a good book. I, I've read it. It's it's really good. So, so let, let's get back to AD&D. Are we accurate in calling it first edition? You know, we call it first edition. Uh, why, why is that... Common parlance because you have OD and D, which technically would be first. It's a first, completely right? different game than than standard Dungeons and Dragons. So you, I mean, so it was a, it was a complete. You know, it it wasn't packaged in a box. It came in originally three different books. You had to have three different books if you were the game master. Um, and so that you know, it was a product on its own. Here they are. Yeah, I know. Yeah, <laughs> I've, I've been thinking about buying the reprints of those. So, um, but yeah, the it was a completely different. Thing. But couldn't you argue that second edition is a different game from first edition AD and D? It mostly is. <laughs> it had there, there was a lot of politics in second edition Dungeons and Dragons that um, that pretty much started the decline of the company and getting people away from it. Um, Dungeons and Dragons was doing so good. First editions was doing so good. First of all, you had tons of clones coming out, like Trolls and Tunnels. Right. That was what Flying Buffalo that came out with that, and um, a few others, you know, and they always stomped those out with a little bit of lawsuit and, mm -hmm. you know, threatened lawsuits and people like, okay, okay, I'll quit doing it. Um, but, you know, Gary, Lorraine finally got enough push and pull to get rid of Gary from the company. Mm -hmm. Um, so when, and I'll tell you this, the first satanic panic, you know, they were afraid of, that was the one with the seventies. And, um, what you had was a guy went missing in college and there's a whole story behind him. His name was James Egbert and, uh, the third, <laughs> the guy had the third in there, but he went missing. And so this stupid investigator named William Deere was like, man, you know, he, he, he went to his college dorm and was like, saw these pins in this pushboard and realized it was a map of the steam tunnels and found, looked over over here and saw these books for Dungeons and Dragons. And was like, I think this guy was playing Dungeons and Dragons in the, in the steam tunnels and, and probably died down there doing some sort of satanic ritual. Well, that guy was just trying to make a, a name for himself. There was. So when that happened, I mean, Gygax and all of them just sailed that beautifully because just kind of like guns are whenever there's a shooting, and I hate to compare it to that. You have tons of people going out and buying new guns because they're afraid it's going to get banned. Same thing happened with Dungeons right, & Dragons. Right. So people are going out there. They were just raking money in, just raking it in because of mm -hmm. that whole situation. And and then you had the second Satanic Panic pull up in the 80s, and that one, Gary wasn't around for that one too much. Um, you know, at the beginning of it, he was, but then when he left the company the person that had to deal with that was Lorraine uh, when second edition came out they removed um, you know they did a rule rewrite because she was trying to get it away from Gary as much as she possibly could and um, so they did that rewrite and then um, what happened was they removed any deities demons devils anything like that from the, the game itself just so that they were so afraid of the whole issue. So second edition in many ways then was kind of trying to clean up some of the, the PR issues they were having yeah. with, with first edition AD. &D. Oh, yeah. So, so, so just to clarify, and, and this is your chance to, to correct me before I, I, I continue talking this way. Yeah. You have 
Chainmail yes. had a fantasy supplement. That's not Dungeons and Dragons. That's not Dungeons and Dragons. You got original Dungeons and Dragons, O D and D, the white box. Yeah. That's the first Dungeons and Dragons you've got. Yes. Then you have A D and D, which is what we call first edition. Yes. Meanwhile, you've got this other little timeline up here we're gonna ignore that had the bait the blue box, which was yeah. ba- uh, D and D basic that D&D led to D and D expert. Okay, yeah. but we're, let's go back down here. We got first edition A D and D, which led to second edition, third edition. There's an, we can put another line under here for Pathfinder. Yeah, we'll, we'll get rid of fourth edition altogether. Yeah, well, that's how I cut my teeth. We'll, 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 we'll put an asterisk for fourth edition and then fifth edition. So first edition, when we say first edition, we mean Advanced Dungeons and Dragons. It wasn't technically the first Dungeons and Dragons, yeah. but it was the first thorough rule set that Guy right. Gax designed for, uh, for his game. Yeah, and, and when we say, well, usually, when we talk about the box sets, we just call it by the color, like red box standy. Okay. And um, like in second edition, they had a box set. I can't remember. I'd never played that. Um, had a big dragon on the front of it going, eh. but, um, <laughs> but they, uh, and then third edition was when wizards officially took it over. They did not mm-hmm. create in 3.5. They did not create a box set that to my knowledge, um, fourth edition, they did have a box set. I picked that up. I remember, um, I just had my tonsils out and we were at Target. I mean, seriously, like I just gotten home from the hospital that day and I had to go to Target with a wife and I'm like, Hey, I don't feel good. Buy that for me. <laughs> <laughs> so that's how my daughter cut her teeth on Dungeons and Dragons was that red box remake in fourth edition rules. Yeah. And then with fifth edition, they came out with a box set as well. Starter kit. So as they call it, that's the ones it's just, it's enough of the rules to get people's whistles wet and give them a taste of what's going on. And they, they sink their teeth in and decide to drop $150 in books. <laughs> so here, so here's the big question I have for you, Dane. This is not the big question. This is the personal question. So why haven't you played AD and D yet, man? <sighs> okay. So again, started out with second edition, played third edition. I loved third edition and I learned 3.5. Um, then from there we went to fourth edition and I hated it. And I was like, the only reason I'm playing fourth edition right now is for my daughter. Um, because I had a buddy that loved fourth edition. He is a marvelous DM. He went and wrote an entire supplement using fourth edition rules that put my daughter in Hogwarts. That's cool. All seven years of Hogwarts. He came out with a way to to do the (laughs) battles. He came out a way with a way to figure out who the, the, head boy and girl are and things like that. And it was awesome. And it took place in like the 1930s. Like our third year Voldemort was the first year. So, that's awesome. Uh, or the 1940s. I can't remember exactly. But anyway, um, and then from there, I was like, I don't like this. I'm going to try something else, which was Hackmaster. Hackmaster, mm-hmm. if you don't know, is kind of like to first edition of what Pathfinder is to third edition. Um, okay. so it, it is a, uh, variant of first edition. Um, and every time I go to my friends, like, Hey man, I'm feeling nostalgic. Let's pull out some first edition and play first edition. And they're like, why would we pay, play something like that? Because there's better rules, better items, and we can play something else. If you're feeling nostalgic, let's play second edition. I'm like, come on now, let's play first. We played <laughs> second edition. And so we argue back and forth. And re- now, now you sound like uh, Jeff Romo and Josh Brown, who I had on yeah. last week. They were 
They were saying, if you want to do feel nostalgic, just do those old modules, but do them in 5th edition. So. Ah. See, and that's the thing, though. Like, um, I do love the old modules. I'll use them in my current campaigns, which now I play Savage Worlds um, because mm-hmm. I went, you know, from 4th to GURPS and Hackmaster. And, but anyway, so and I haven't got a chance to try 5th, but I would love to try 1st edition Dungeons Trains. Love to get around playing it. So, hint, hint, nudge, nudge. I mentioned this to Jeff and Josh last week. You know, my my, my goal is I'm, I'm my first group is going to be in person. We're going to be using pencils. We may even use like candles on the table. We're going all the way back, man. And uh, like I'm, I may tell people they can't even use computers for their uh, for their character sheets. We may be. <laughs> I'm not going to buy the character sheets, the the retro you character sheets. But I may print some. I may print some. So uh, and but then uh, you know I want to do that. Uh, just to, to go back, I also would like to do a group with that's online, see how well it translates to, to being online. Yeah. I'd like to do a group of people who have never played RPGs before, um, yeah. just to see how challenging it may or may not have been uh, to teach. And uh, but but there will be there will be ample opportunity. Uh, I am realistic enough to know I'm not going to be able to do all these modules very quickly. Oh, yeah. So there will, there will be ample opportunity for those who are interested to uh, to join me. So if you're listening and you want to play D&D with me, give me a shout on Twitter on madcleric.com. Let me know. We'll uh, we'll try to get you get you in there. Well well this has been enlightening. I got to go back and and think more through the politic the the, the politics of TSR. Yeah. I've read a lot online already, but there's just there was a lot going on there and what so, so tell tell us this will be my last question for you tonight. So so tell tell us about kind of the the kind of guy that Gary was. Was he an introverted guy? Did he just did he really want to stay there with his typewriter working on his book? Did did, did this just kill him that he was having to deal with this kind of nonsense? Or what, where was his his head in all this? What I understand, um, I'll give you a little background history. He was um, a Jehovah's Witness. Um, he was raised a Jehovah's Witness. He, as he pointed out, he was not a very good Jehovah's Witness. They, um, he drank a lot and partied a lot. Um, he, when it came to board games, that was his passion. He was where board games were. Like, he would go, um, you know, with his first wife, you know, he'd get off work and come home on a Friday and leave and not come home till Sunday night. And he wow. was literally playing board games. You know, this was in like the 1950s, and right. he was just playing these games with his friends in their basement. And finally, she thought he was having an affair. Um, he shows she shows up at one of his friends' house, just beating on the door. You know, Gary, where are you? They let him in, and he's just sitting there smoking and and playing a board game. <laughs> and he's like, I'm playing. So he started hosting his game days at his house, and um, so that that was actually I read that in the. Uh, Whitworth's book so talking about that um, but then as things went along when Dungeons and Dragons came out um, you know he still had his faith that um, at the time and he would not share after the first satanic panic would not share his faith anymore hmm. because everybody knew him as the creator of Dungeons and Dragons and um, when they found out that he was a Christian they would just tear him apart and he was just tired of it. And I know in his later years, um, you know, it, it talked about in that book a little bit um, about him coming to truly know Christ. And, um, 
you know, this is years after after he'd left. This was like in the late nineties. And um, you know, when I, I have game days and I talk to people about Dungeons and Dragons and living in the South, there's still a lot of hate mm-hmm. for that game. And it's just a game. Yeah. And I have to explain to people, I'm like, you would let your kids play Monopoly, which is a game about being super greedy and taking everybody's money and kicking them out of their property. <laughs> but yet you won't let them pretend to be a knight or or a cleric and slay dragons? What's up with that? And to me, that, that's actually one of those things, because like, me and a buddy of mine was like, you know, when we get to heaven, we're going to like have Gary Gygax as our GM. <laughs> He's going to be running the campaign for us. And I'm like, I know, and we're going to get all in that 20s. So, I don't know. I, I, I don't know if it'll be all in that 20s. There's <laughs> got to be a little bit of challenge. God's okay with that. <laughs> there might even be a natural one. The difference is we won't respond with the rage that we yeah, do. We won't on be this, flipping uh, the table. This plane. That holy <laughs> anger. <laughs> <laughs> well, Daniel, man, I really appreciate you joining me tonight. This has been enlightening and a lot of fun. I hope our, I know our listeners will enjoy it as well. Uh, any uh, final thoughts you'd like to close with tonight? Uh, just, uh, guys, remember, I know video games are fun, and I know playing online is fun. Um, just, you know, if you get a chance to get around the table and, and play a campaign with a group of friends, just do it. You know, put away the other stuff and just try it out because it, if you've never done it before, it's going to change your life. Um, you make some of the greatest friends around the table when, when I'm still friends with people I played with 20 years ago. And, um, you know, it, it will bring you out and get to meet new people. So that's awesome, man. I appreciate you sharing that. I think that's, you know, that's one thing with the, the Pokemon Go fascination right now is people are actually getting out they're interacting with each other it's adding some of that but still it's not the same as a good old no. uh smelling the eraser and the lead and the paper and the dice. gotta love a good good table t- and the dice yes. that's a great place for us to end well thanks everybody for listening and every one of you keep on chasing that dragon see you soon Lame Drivers, you can check out their music at lamedrivers.com.